comes in the shape of Diane, who kindly played keyboard this morning because having completely forgotten that I was on the rotor to play keyboard, I then realized I was also supposed to be preaching, which is not an ideal situation to find yourself in. And then it was compounded when John Dexter decided that perhaps I should be leading this week. <laughs> not quite what I had in mind. Now, I'm hoping the technology is going to work from the back. Thank you, Paul. We were having a few problems with that earlier on, but it seems to be working okay. Now, Steve and I didn't collude about this, but it was interesting how he began our service this morning by saying, have we come expecting God to say something to us? And I was going to begin with that question. We're looking at Paul and his interaction with this lady called Lydia. And I was just thinking, what is God saying to me today from this passage? Now, Lydia may not be a person who's terribly well-known to all of us, and we're going to read together from the Bible, from the book of Acts, and it's chapter 16, and I'm starting here at verse 6, and let's follow it from the screen, or if you want to follow it on your phone or from a proper copy of the Bible, although Steve's copy appears to be a misleading one. Really? <laughs> I say no more. <laughs> So, here we have the Apostle Paul and his companions. They traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who'd gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And then a little bit later in verse 40, we skip over to another reference to her. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. So, if you look, let's 
see if I can get this right. Here we've got Damascus, where Paul was converted. And we've got him traveling up through this area, which is modern Turkey, of course, now. And being prevented from going to this place called Bithynia, and so ending up in Troas. And from there, crossing over to Philippi. And that's just by way of a little background geography, uh, which may or may not be helpful, but it's always good to know a little bit of background. I think sometimes we think that information is good or bad. It can be helpful. It can sometimes be unhelpful. I think there is something to be said for being biblically literate and knowing what the Bible says, but equally... I believe very much that it's not just a case of knowing information about people. I'm going to give you a little bit of information about Lydia, but this is only as a sort of preparation, if you like, for other things that I think we need to look at and I believe God wants to say to us this morning. So she came from this place, Thyatira, which isn't actually on the map. It's in modern Turkey, and it was a place where they traded in this particular purple dye, which was very expensive. It was made out of some kind of sea creatures, shellfish of some time, whose shells were ground up. And it was expensive because it was a colorfast dye, which was probably quite unusual in those days. And so it was something which was only available to the wealthy. Now, Thyatira is a place that some of you will recognize as popping up elsewhere in the New Testament. Any offers? A church, yes. In Revelation chapter 2, we read about uh, the vision that the Apostle John had and how God was speaking to that church in Thyatira who were praised for some of what they were doing and then told that they needed to sharpen up their practice a bit of other things. So Lydia herself was a dealer in this dye and the cloth. She may, in fact, have been a dealer, or she may simply have been an importer. We don't really know. But obviously, she was connected with this trade. And, in fact, that's the type of garment that might have been produced. Very heavy golden embroidery on this purple fabric. Something which, as I said, only the wealthy would be able to afford. And it's interesting that she is mentioned here as a businesswoman. She's obviously the head of a household, and there's no mention of any male relatives, so we don't know whether she was ever married, widowed, or divorced even, or single. She is the head of a household, though. And this, again, reminded me of another Bible passage, and uh, the end of Proverbs, that final chapter, we have a similar sort of picture of a woman who was obviously into the sort of trading that is mentioned here that Lydia does and how this is something which is praised. If you read the whole of that chapter, that woman there is praised most definitely for the way in which she runs her household, trades, and takes care of people. And Lydia herself is undoubtedly quite wealthy because she's got a spacious house She's able to accommodate a church there. Now, not many of us have a house that can actually accommodate a church, 
Some of us might be able to cram quite a few people into our houses, but this is quite exceptional, really. And it wasn't unusual for women at this time to be patrons and sponsors of all sorts of activities. And apparently in the, some of the archaeological finds in Philippi itself, there are quite a lot of inscriptions to women who were actually patrons and wealthy and held civic office in first century Roman culture. Now we have to remember that this was a Roman city at the time. It was occupied by the Romans, so it was run on Roman lines. And Lydia was a Gentile worshipper of God. She was following Jewish practices, it would appear, and she is believed to have been the first Gentile convert under Paul's ministry in Europe. And she's quite a hard act to follow, this woman. If you look at all she's achieved and all she does, my goodness, it's not surprising that in many strands of Christianity she is regarded as a saint. She has been uh, beatified. So there is Saint Lydia. But we're not just thinking about her as an individual. We don't just need to look at the background of what was going on. What we're looking at today is her interaction with the Apostle Paul, how that played out, and what we can learn from this person. So Paul had a vision. He had this very strange vision about somebody beckoning him to come over into Macedonia and him being prevented from going to another place. Now, I don't know if anybody here has had an experience similar to that where you felt very definitely nudged to go to a certain place or you've actually been told not to go to a certain place. But this is something that God's Spirit can do and does do. And we need to be attentive to what he is saying to us. Now, Lydia was found in a place of prayer. Again, we have to understand a little bit about what was going on at this time. The Jews were not permitted to practice their religion within Philippi itself. Now, there's a picture of some of the sort of ruins that you might expect to see nowadays in Philippi. And in the background there, you can actually see a sort of archway, if you look round there. And on the archways at the outside of the city, the city gates, there would be an inscription which prohibited the practice of any new religion, i.e. anything that contravened Roman law at the time. So the Jews had the habit of finding a place outside the city walls where they could meet for prayer. But what is interesting here is that there weren't any men there, it would appear. It was just the women who'd gathered. And there wouldn't have been a synagogue because in order to build a synagogue and establish one as a place for worship, there had to be 10 males aged 13 or over to qualify for it to be a proper synagogue. So these women were meeting down by the river. And what is interesting about Lydia here is that it says her heart was open. Her heart was open. Now again, let's come back to how we started this morning. Have I, have you come with a heart that's open to what God might want to say to you today? 
God wants to do business with us. We're not just here to enjoy worship, enjoy each other's company, although both those things are essential. But we are here to say, God, what are you saying to me today? Is my heart open? And we learn that she believed when Paul explained the gospel to her, she was immediately latching onto this and thinking, yes, this is what I want. This is what I believe God has made me for. And she believed and was baptized. She not only believed and was baptized, but she instantly shared her faith, first of all, presumably with her household, because we read that the whole household was baptized. And we have another example of that later on in that same chapter where the Philippian jailer, after Paul and Silas had been put in prison, he and his household were all baptized. Now, I think we have to be a bit careful here. We have to understand that one person believing doesn't automatically generate belief in all the rest. There is that sense of having had the gospel explained to them, they then, that household, responded it wasn't just because Lydia herself had done that. But she shared her faith with her whole household. Again, those of us who have families with us, are we sharing our faith? Are we modeling that faith? Are we expecting God to do great things within our immediate family or even our extended families? And the other thing, of course, we notice is that she offered hospitality. Now, hospitality is a great thing. It's lovely to be able to open one's home and invite people round. And she did this with Paul and Silas. And I don't know if you noticed, but there's a change in the narrative during this story where it suddenly becomes, we did things. And so we can guess, we can work out from that, that it's Luke who has now actually joined Paul and Silas. In verse 10 is where the narrative actually changes. And so Lydia, having been in a place of prayer with presumably people she knew and trusted, she had accepted the gospel, she had chosen to be baptized, and the next thing she did was to throw open her home to allow people to meet there and to allow these men to stay there on their journey. So that, again, is all by way of a little bit of sort of background information, if you like. But let's look at some of the characteristics that we can learn from Lydia. And I'm going to say here, irrespective of our gender, okay? This is not a feminist agenda by any stretch of the imagination. These are all things which every single one of us can take on board and learn from. So one of the first things I noted as I was preparing this was how she met with others, meeting with other believers. This is something that is really important. I mean, here we are today. We are meeting with fellow believers because this encourages us. There's this passage in, in the letter to the Hebrews. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day, Jesus' return, 
approaching. Now, encouragement is something that's actually listed as one of the gifts of the Spirit in Romans 12 and verse 8. We actually find it in one of the lists of the gifts that God has given to us in his church. And there is something about encouragement. As I look around, and sometimes when I'm leading, I just love catching people's eye and seeing people smile. That there's something very lovely about feeling, yes, here we are, and we're interacting with each other, and we're, we're praising the Lord together, or we're acknowledging something from Scripture that, yeah, that really means something to me. That, 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 that's helpful. And encouraging one another is hugely important. And even just by being here, we are an encouragement to one another. And it is something that Scripture does tell us to do. And there are other ways in which we can encourage people. Lydia must have been a huge encouragement to Paul. Absolutely huge. You know, here's this person of fantastic means and wealth and independence, if you like, and yet here she is. She is offering her home. And her heart and her mind were open, open to God speaking. Come back to some of the values we have here at NBC. Wales, if you want to remember it as an acronym, which I know Ian likes. I prefer weasel. I don't know why. I just like weasel. But either way, we've got an E in there, expectant. So coming back to my question at the start, am I expecting God to say something to me? What is he going to say to me today? She was certainly expectant that God would speak to her. And she didn't seem to have any difficulty in sharing her faith firstly with her household and then presumably with other people as well. Now, some of us find that easier than others. But, you know, yesterday, Steve and Danny and I were at a meeting in Bristol where we were being encouraged to look at a passage in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, where it talks about the harvest being plentiful and the laborers few. But it suddenly occurred to me that a harvest and I hadn't really thought about this before, a harvest indicates that the crop is ripe, it's ready. And my prayer is going to be this week that God will actually lead me to people who are ready and prepared to talk about Jesus. Now, to my shame, I don't think I'd ever really thought that through very deeply until yesterday, but it's been on my mind ever since talking about Jesus in a natural, open, honest, authentic way. There's another of the words that we have in our values. But that ability to share my faith, but with somebody who's actually ready. Look at Lydia. She was ready for Paul to share the gospel with her. God had prepared her. God had stopped him from going to one place and sent him quite deliberately to another one. Amazing. She was willing to share her home, and we know as a result that that house church developed from the fact that she invited them to stay. And actually, it must have taken quite a bit of courage to do that. Think about this. She is a woman, okay, somebody of some status, no doubt. She's got three foreign men staying in her house. Now, I'm not sure that I would do that, 
I do have a husband. <laughs> Even where I single. <laughs> but, you know, the scandal that could have erupted as a result of that is quite remarkable if you stop to think about it. You know, three strange foreign men suddenly come along. Okay, come and share my house. Might have raised a few eyebrows, but she did it because she believed that's what God had asked her to do. And she was courageous later on in that chapter, in verse 40, that final verse that we read from the Bible passage. Paul and Silas had been in prison. Now she was willing to take them in after they'd been in prison. And that in itself was a courageous act. So those sort of characteristics, I think, are things that we need to reflect on and say again, you know, what is God saying to me today? Is there something I can take away from this? Now, there are a few extra things before I finish. She was a businesswoman, but she was very quick to realize that her business, her home, her possessions, her time, all now belonged to God. And that's a challenge to me. How likely do I hold my possessions? I often say, well, we often say, we would hate to move from the home that we're in. We love it. But if God were to say to us quite clearly, it's time to move on, I think we would both agree that we would need to be obedient. But holding these things lightly isn't easy. Her career aspirations didn't seem to hinder her. She might have wanted to extend her business. She might have wanted to, I don't know, climb a bit further up the food chain somehow or other. We assume that she managed to continue trading and give time to sharing her faith. She somehow seems to have been a person who managed to get that balance and it's quite clear that that meeting with Paul, and therefore with Jesus, as a result of what Paul shared with her, transformed her life completely. And she wasn't too busy to offer hospitality. Now, again, she was a wealthy woman. It probably was relatively easy for her to do that. And at a time these days when the cost of living is proving to be a real difficulty for many of us, we have to be careful here. But I thought about this passage in Mark's Gospel where Jesus was watching people coming into the temple and putting money into the temple offering boxes. And some of them were putting a whole lot in. Many rich people threw in large amounts. And then we read about this poor widow. And look what Jesus says. It's nothing to do with the amount. Absolutely nothing. It's to do with that attitude of heart as we give. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. Hospitality, again, is a gift. Some have it more than others, but hospitality doesn't have to be lavish. A cup of coffee with somebody, a slice of pizza, whatever. It's just that opportunity to share 
to be open to what God might be asking us to do with others. And in many cases, it might be others who don't know Jesus. So all of this that Lydia did was of huge benefit to Paul and his ministry. And subsequently, of course, to the early church as that church developed. And obviously, by the time it had grown, it was experiencing some difficulties. All churches do. But coming back to what we were thinking about earlier, thinking about the blessings that we've had during this past week, one of the blessings that I and Peter, certainly with me, we both count, is our church family. We do bless the Lord for our church family. You are a huge encouragement to us. So as we just conclude thinking about Lydia and her interaction with Paul, let's keep in mind that God may be saying something to you and to me this morning from that particular interaction. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living, that it is a way in which you speak to us. And our prayer this morning would be that if there is something that we need to do in response to what we have heard, in response to what we've been singing, in response to the prayers that we've been led in, Lord, our prayer is that our hearts will be open, that we will be willing to live our lives in the sort of way that we've seen demonstrated in the life of this amazing woman, Lydia. Lord, let us know what you are saying to us today, because we pray this in your name. Amen.